Confined to a wheelchair battling arthritis, one world-famous detective has reached the end of his season. But his core, his mind, is still sharp as ever and is leading him to a confrontation with a murderer. What are the murderer's motivations? Will the detective stop him before he overcomes his next victim? When will fall the final curtain? The Detective in Decline, Hercule Perot. The book, Curtain by Agatha Christie, and you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! Hey y'all, this is Kari. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis, how you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm doing all right. I am. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. What you do this week? Exciting. Besides this leave is- the house. Uh, readers, if you're a longtime listener of this show, you know, Alexis hasn't <laughs> left the house in 32 years. <laughs> However, her job said, come COVID or high water, we want you yeah. at your desk because yeah. we don't know you working if we can't see you. <laughs> so how is it how is it going back oh well it was quiet and um, my new spot I you know it's just a, I gotta get used to being in this new spot but, yeah yeah so all right then well <laughs> let's move on to our theme of the week readers each week as you know we choose a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading this week our theme is are you ready alexis not quite how to convince someone they've committed a crime oh this is perfect go ahead girl well this isn't too hard to do in fact readers we're going to give you two steps to convince your loved ones that they've committed a crime and is this just for fun If you have anyone in your life whose life you'd like to ruin, this is a great way to do it. And um, law enforcement have been doing it for decades. So we'll get into that. And that's the truth. Now, I'm getting these tips from research done by the by students from the University of British Columbia. And a summary of their research was published in PsychologicalScience.com in an article titled People Can Be Convinced They Committed a Crime That Never Happened. So I'm just going to give you an overview of how this came about. Now, why they decided to do this research, I have no idea. I will let you know that after the research was done, they sent everyone a note saying, thank you for your participation. By the way, you didn't commit any of them crimes. We made you think you did. (laughs) So they say (laughs) evidence from some wrongful conviction cases suggests that suspects can be questioned in ways that lead them to falsely believe in and confess to committing crimes that didn't act, they didn't actually commit. Now we know this, we've seen it play out. Um, we think about the Central Park children who yeah, were um, convicted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not just in these famous cases, even mm-hmm. in quote unquote mundane petty crime that doesn't involve um, assault or even murder, this type of um, coercion can happen. 
So they go on to say research provides lab based evidence now for this phenomenon showing that innocent adult participants. So if adults can be convinced they committed a crime, especially children can be convinced. Um, And over a course of a few hours, they got these very intelligent adult people to believe um, that they had done something wrong in their youth. Okay, In their youth. Yeah. Yeah. That is part of it. Um, Uh So it wasn't they weren't saying, hey, remember when you shot so and so yesterday? It was Uh, more like memory call. Yes. Yes. Which um, you've reminded me this week is very faulty. And we'll get Uh into that also. So our findings, they say, show that false memories of committing crime with police contact can be surprisingly easy to generate and can have all the same kinds of complex details as real memories. So how can you do it? Just like they did it, reader. This is how. First, I'll tell you how they did it. At least three, uh, two steps, by the way. I want you to know this is crazy easy. Step one, set out, set aside at least three hours of friendly conversation with your victim. Whose false <laughs> memories? Oh, your who, friend. Whose false memories you want to create? So at least three hours um, with your friends and family. In a conversation where you introduce these false memories. This is like Inception, if you've seen that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what this study did, what these students did was set aside like three days spaced apart, 40 minute conversations each. And in the first conversation, um, they were like, you know, hey, Alexis, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Now we have some information here on you. And then they started talking about things from the subject's youth that actually happened. Mm-hmm. Like Alexis, I know that your uh, mama lives on the street. Um, mm-hmm. Your sister, so and so and so, is that correct? And mm-hmm. you would go, yeah, yeah. yes, because we're so eager to say yes. It's the truth. You got it. <laughs> and then I go, okay, and we have here that you know, in eleventh grade, you threw a stone at an officer and um, stayed overnight in not, jail. Do you remember no, that situation? That's true. So, oh. I mean, in real life, that's true. <laughs> Let Don't, me find something Alexis another did one? do. That's, yeah, okay, that's no true. problem, Alexis. Oh, we God. ain't got to go back oh, through your thug, thuggish, oh, ruggish past. <laughs> Alexis, we know you ran into uh, um, Bodega when you were in 10th grade in a stolen vehicle. Okay. Um, and this is a vehicle you stole from your uncle, so-and-so. Um, and I'll give the real name of your uncle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You stole his mm-hmm. vehicle and ran into a bodega or Piggly Wiggly. I can't really remember the details. Do you remember them? So now I've introduced a very small, actually it's not small, but I've quickly introduced this big lie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a lie. That didn't happen. You did not do that. No. Um. So for some, the false event related to a crime that resulted in contact with the police, which can include assault, assault with a weapon or theft. So these are serious crimes that they're convincing these subjects that they committed. Importantly, the false event stories included some true details, mix a little truth so they believe the whole lie. That's the idea. Um, Number two, step number two to this very easy system. Then make your target feed the story back to you they will miraculously fill in the details on their own. Dang. So Alexis isn't going to believe that my terrible story about the Piggly Wiggly or Bodega that you stole a car. But if I casually tell you all these real things and I'm in a position of authority, such as an officer or in this case, 
um, the the person the running the yeah professor or the person running the study, you are more influence to believe I'm telling you the truth because I'm in a position of authority. Even if you don't necessarily um, feel like you just trust people in authority, your subconscious can bend to that once they fed you a lot of truth and give you this little bit of lie. So participants in this study were asked to explain what happened in each of their events. When they had difficulty explaining the false event, the interviewer would like encourage them. Okay, no problem. It was a long time ago. Maybe try some memory exercises and then you'll be able to (laughs) remember the details. And they would. They would fill in details. Oh, yeah. You know, I do kind of remember that because I think so-and-so was there. And um, yeah, you know what? You're right. I forgot all about that. That's crazy. This is the subject speaking. Like, Dang. Dang. Um. That's interesting. Alexa. That's really interesting. <laughs> of the 30 adults, intelligent adults who participated, who were told that they had committed a crime as teenagers, 20, uh-huh. 21, 21 were classified as having developed a false memory of the crime. That is 71%. Mm. Wow. 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 Mm-hmm. I wonder what the other um, um, 29% said. Yeah. I don't know, but they probably said, this is stupid. I'm out of here. I, I told know. y'all I didn't do it. <laughs> I think actually that would be me. I, I think like, that hmm. would be me. This is dumb. You ain't going to convince me. Well, you know, we we feel so I, confident. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. Confidence gets mm-hmm. you every time. Yeah. You'd be like, mm-hmm. man, maybe this already happened to us. <laughs> maybe you didn't throw no rock at no officer in your youth. You, We don't know. <laughs> 11 hmm. of that th- of those 30 reported elaborate false memory details and i think this comes from a place where we're so eager to go above and beyond for the authority we'll even Dang. fill in the details that never happened to the point where it's elaborate yes because i remember the next day it was snowing and it was june so it was crazy and i'll never forget it <laughs> yikes that <laughs> you know? is crazy So those two steps, a friendly conversation for at least three hours where you introduce false memories around a lot of truth. And number two, make your target feed that story back to you. This research speaks to the distinct possibility that most of us are likely able to generate false memories of emotional and criminal events. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The findings have clear implications for criminal interrogation. Like we discussed, mm-hmm. um, police, we, it's documented that people have um, pled guilty, not pled guilty because it's a lot of reasons people plead guilty, but have, um, what am I trying, confessed. Yeah. People have confessed to crimes that um, scientific evidence later cleared them of. And so that goes in line with this. And then you sent me a video <laughs> This week of a man who was in prison, he was like, I didn't do it. And you're not going to convince me I did it. And mm-hmm. he found his doppelganger. And yeah. the only re- he had an alibi. That man was somewhere else at the time of the crime. The, the only reason alibi. he was thrown into prison is because witnesses said, yes, no, that's him. And these witnesses were not part of his race. And that matters because when people of a certain um, skin tone or ethnicity don't fill your world, you start to kind of see them. They all look alike. He had braids. He was lighter skin. He was, you know, kind of tall. He made me feel um, threatened. 
So when the crime happened, I'll never forget who it was. So you right. get another tall, light-skinned man with braids and you like, that's him. Because yep. I don't have any other tall, light-skinned men with braids in my life. Mm-hmm. So that must be him. Yeah. And this man was like, you're not going to convince me it's me. And they threw him in jail. And he said, it ain't me. It ain't <laughs> and me. found his lookalike. He was like, I'm always... um." Did he say he was confused for this person before? Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so gross. So mm-hmm. um, they brought the witnesses back and had the doppelganger enter the room. And the witnesses were like, yep, that's him. I told y'all that's him. And they was like, oh, but this isn't him. This is another <laughs> man. And they was like, oh, well, you know, what? I don't know. But it was someone that looked like that. And they said, OK, sir, you are released. <laughs> they released him that day. Like, go home. Yeah, Sorry for wasting years of your life. Years. I think it was like eight years of his life. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Sad. Crazy. Yeah. But this is a real thing. It can really happen. And we are all very easily influenced. So I know I have to be careful about the influences I let in my life, because apparently I could be convinced to murder or think I murdered think someone murdered. well yeah to murder to want to murder desire to want to, to murder mm-hmm. to want to yeah. murder somebody very interesting I love that topic yeah well you ready to take a break and we'll move on into our book curtain by Agatha Christie yeah let's all right Welcome back. (laughs) Alexis, can you please give us some background on our author, Agatha Christie, and perhaps her inspiration for Curtin? Okay, so we, um, you know, this is like our fourth Agatha Christie book. And third from the Parole series. So... Well, well, to the reader, it's our like third Agatha Christie because we have an episode we never published. And that's oh, true. Midnight. That's uh, what is it? Orient Express. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Murder on the Orient Express. That's a good point. We'll bring that that out of the vault when we need a break one week. Yeah. So uh, just a little bit about her. Um, She was born in 1890 in Southwest um, England. She taught herself to read by five. She had no formal education until she was like 15 or 16. She married at um, in 1914, had one child in 1916. I don't if any of you are Agatha Christie um, um, fans fans. (laughs) already know that she disappeared for some days and um, like 10 days and nobody knows what. Well, yeah, she, she, she never was at talks the spa. about it. Yeah, but she don't talk about it. <laughs> she don't talk about it. Like her car crashed somewhere and then she just disappeared. So they were looking for it. So it's a whole deep thing. But she died in 1970. Unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Her death yeah. was not caused by this time no, when she went to no, the no. spa and didn't right. tell nobody. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. Her last public appearance. Um, was at the opening of the 1974 film version of Murder on the Orient Express. Curtain was published in 1975, but written almost 30 years, if not more, prior. Curtain was, um, Chrissy wrote the novel in like the early 40s because she was thinking she wasn't going to make it through the war and she wanted to have a, a story I think it was for her sister that kind of concluded. I have for her daughter. Oh, her daughter. Maybe her daughter. Yeah. 
her daughter that concluded the Perot novels. So she wrote this story and she put it in the vault. Um, by the time she wrote this series, she had already written 22 books with Perot as the lead. And Christy authorized the removal um, from the vault and its sub- subsequent publication for after her death, but she actually did it before her. She ended up doing it before her death, which again, I mentioned was in 75. And this book was published. No, she died in 76. And the book was published in 75. It was one of the last books to be published during her lifetime. Curtain was adapted for television in 2013 and was nominated for an Emmy in 2015. And so that television adaptation was part of like a series of um, like a weekly miniseries kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's yeah. exactly right. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, and that's all I have about Curtin and Agatha Christie. Okay, I got a few things I read up on. Yes, please share. There are uh, Christie fanboys out there and they refuse to read this book because they are so attached to the Hercule Perot character that to read about his death is uh-huh. too much. Oh, and wow. so for a lot of people, this is the only Agatha Christie book they will not read. And that's not a spoiler. Um, right. Hercule well, Perot's death is like, I mean, whatever. See, I'm not a fanboy. So it's like, uh, whatever, he dies. But that's not even part of the story. So <laughs> if you know anything about this book, you know it's his last case because he well, won't die. But it's called Curtain. Perot's last case. Yeah. So, (laughs) and like you said, Agatha was like, well, I could, um, you know, die in a bombing in World War II. So let me just write the last case. And I think she wrote this out of sequence. So she hadn't finished writing Hercule Perot's, yeah, character, the the cases he was to face. She had written 22 already, but she had like another 20 more books to write. So I love this because she had written, obviously, the mysterious case of Styles because right. the plot of that book is referred to by the characters of this book, Hastings and Perot specifically. I read that book after reading Curtain, by the way, since they do reference it. And the N word is in there. And it's about like as Styles at the estate, they like to have blackface parties. Mm-hmm. And they talk about blackface and how it's hard to get whatever they make for kinky hair out. You know, you have a hard time getting it out. And I was like, hmm, maybe Agatha is racist. (laughs) So we've had this conversation and we've had it with our readers. And I've always felt like the bigots in her stories are always always rebuked by other main characters. And in that way, it means to me that Agatha is rebuking the ideas. Mm -hmm. However, why continue writing the ideas? (laughs) This was the first one. This was the first one, though. Oh, the mysterious case of Styles. Yes, yeah, the first well, one. Okay, so it was the first one, but it keeps coming up. In Murder on the Orient Express, it's about anti-Italian um, thinking, and um, and then there were none. Obviously, the original title is extremely racist. Mm-hmm. I yeah. can't remember in this one if anything is said, but I'm sure it was. We'll just say it was. <laughs> I, I, so, don't, I don't even know. I'm over it, right? So I can't even remember because I'm so used to it from Agatha. Oh, so I'm a racist. <laughs> Great. 
Um, well, but yeah, so, not, well, can that not reflect a change in her thinking? The fact that this first one that you didn't say, it doesn't sound like there's any rebuking in the first one because it's like a party and they like to do this and this is what they do. But as stories go on, she rebukes this thinking. Yeah. And in the first instant of this, in the mysterious case of Styles, where the N word is used, the character saying it is not the most intelligent or respected member of the cast of characters. Mm-hmm. I don't care, though. I don't care. I'm I'm tired of it, Agatha. And if this was um 2021, I would be, you know, writing you a very long, stern letter on Twitter. But that's fine. Tweet. Mm-hmm. So you go now. So uh, see ya. And um, like you said, yeah, this was published in 1975. It was like the um, penultimate book published before her demise. Because mm-hmm. uh, the last one was that Mabel character, Marple character that people love, too, that I know nothing about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And with uh, Hercule Perot's quote unquote death. His obituary was published in the New York Times. It's the only fictional character to have received such an honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The front page of the New York Times. The front Come on. page obituary with a photograph to mark his death. Oh, insanity. Um, and then that miniseries you talked about, that English series, that mm-hmm. went on for 25 years with the same character. I've So I watched it. I read Curtain. And I watched the series. I can uh, lend it to you if you want. I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. So this show was on for 25 years. They made sure to bring back the same Hastings, from the same actor that played Hastings from The Mysterious Case at Styles. Um, The same uh, actor played Perot, who I think is like David Suchet, I think his name is, or Suchet. I think Suchet. Um, but anyway, so I watched that series for it to have gone on for 25 years and for them to stick so closely to the original book and to even make sure that the original Hastings was um, playing the role I thought was actually kind of cool. Um, cool. And and they didn't shy away from knocking them out, knocking Hercule out of there at the end of the show. So very good. Mm, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's what I got. All right. Now for a brief, no spoiler synopsis of Curtain. Alexis, what do you got for us? Okay. Hercule Perot of sound mind and unhealthy body calls for the visit of his dear friend, Captain Hastings, to join him in Styles, the place where they first met, to help him investigate the murders, which all have clear suspects. However, Perot has identified a murderer. When Captain Hastings arrives, he begins to believe his friend is making up a murder in an effort to feel important as his body declines in health. Will Perot reveal the murderer before the next victim dies? Kari, who do you think would enjoy reading this book? First, I want to say, did you write that? Yeah. It was very good. Not that I'm shocked. but (laughs) You are always shocked when my writing is good. Stop it. (laughs) <laughs> oh, come on. Sound mind and unhealthy body. Mm-hmm. This is very good. Um, and who would love this book? Lovers of easygoing whodunits. As long as like riveting plot twists you never saw coming aren't required. You'll love this. It's like, I don't know if you've ever been in a water park, which really sounds disgusting uh, these days, but I used to go all the time. (laughs) And they had these tubes on lazy rivers that you just sit in and float. It's like being in a public bathtub for no reason. 
<laughs> That's what this book is. It's a lazy river. Public bathtub. <laughs> and you're just floating in it. And things happen. And you're like, well, look at there. <laughs> there are no waves, no tides, no rapid waters. Yeah. Alexis, what were your first thoughts of Curtain? Well, you know, I like the Perot series. So I was eager to enjoy this um, this final stage in his life, even though I haven't read like I've only read like two related to the series. I, I, I like this line of story. All right, cool. And now it's time for our deep dive where you're going to develop the plot for us. Will there be spoilers? Um, I'm going to say no, no spoilers. No <gasps> maybe spoilers. mild spoilers. Maybe, maybe in okay. the discussion, but I, I don't think I have many spoilers in the book. Again, I really believe spoilers are relative, but. Yeah, yeah, I don't think true. I have um, spoilers. So I'm really just going to introduce the story. And I think we're going to have some discussion. About, and we're going right, to have is, some discussion. This is a new thing we're trying where we don't ruin every book for you. If you hate it or if you love it, let us know on IG and Twitter, especially or Facebook. We'll see it next year if you leave a comment <laughs> over there. But if you want us to see it today, let us know on IG and Facebook. And Alexis, please take it away. The book begins by reminding us that the narrator, Arthur Hastings, is best friend to Hercule Poirot. Let's see how I did that. The, he first met him in 1916 at an old friend's large country estate near Style St. Mary. Side note, Hastings has been in eight other Poirot novels and has narrated several others. Hastings received a letter from Perot inviting him to come visit him in the remodeled estate that's been turned into a guest house, this remodeled um, country estate that belonged to a former friend. The way this place is described, it reminds me of a bed and breakfast. What do you think, Kari? Yeah, no, exactly. That's what it is. So it's like an inn, I'll say, like a traditional inn where mm -hmm. you have beds, but all the food is provided and even activities during the day. It's like a cruise ship on land also because you oh. have these a formal dinner night or maybe a ball or, you know, activities are planned for you. Yeah. Oh, I like the way you described that. Um, it's run by a husband and wife team called the Luttrells. Perot describes her as having a tongue like vinegar and the hub husband suffers much from it. Perot saw an advertising in the paper for the place and he wanted to relive the past. So he goes and he stays. Then he finds out that a friend of Hastings daughter is there. It's a baronet. His name is Sir William Boyd Carrington. He's there and he's inviting his friends, which include his daughter. His friends are Dr. John and Barbara Franklin. And they're going to come for the summer. Dr. Franklin is a research chemist. Um, Hastings' daughter is Dr. Franklin's laboratory assistant. So Perot wants Hastings to come for the summer and come quickly. Nevertheless, he wrote cheerfully. And does it not intrigue you, my friend, to see the address from which I write? It recalls old memories, does it not? Yes, I am here at Styles. Figure to yourself, it is now what they call a guest house, run by one of your so British old colonels, very old school Thai and Puna. 
It is his wife, bien entendu, who makes it pay. She is a good manager, that one, but the tongue like vinegar. And the poor colonel, he suffers much from it. If it were me, I would take a hatchet to her. I saw their advertisement in the paper and the fancy took me to go once again to the place which first was my home in this country. At my age, one enjoys reliving the past. Then figure to yourself, I find here a gentleman, a baronet, who is a friend of the employer of your daughter. That phrase, it sounds a little like the French exercise, does it not? Immediately I conceive a plan. He wishes to induce the Franklins to come here for the summer. I in turn will persuade you and we shall be all together, en famille. It will be most agreeable. Therefore, mon cher Hastings, dépêchez-vous. Arrive with the utmost celerity. I have commanded for you a room with bath. It is modernized now, you comprehend the dear old styles, and disputed the price with Mrs. Colonel Lutrel until I have made an arrangement très bon, mon cher. The Franklins and your charming Judith have been here for some days. It is all arranged, so make no histories. A bientôt. Yours always, Hercule Poirot. Hastings thinks to himself, you know, I'm widowed. My children are grown. I might as well go hang out with my bestie. Yeah, my daughter time, is there. Yeah, and my so daughter I'll is there. So hang out with her too. Yeah, bonus. The last time he saw Perot, they were, it was nearly a year ago, and he was looking old, almost crippled with arthritis. Um, and he had gone to Egypt. Perot had gone to Egypt in hopes of improving his health, but it seems it has gotten worse. When Hastings arrives, he sees the Luttrells and immediately gets the tongue-like vinegar that Perot refers to in his Yeah, letter. he understand it right away because the mm-hmm. wife is like, you idiot, get them bags. And the husband like, I'll get them. I'll get the bags now. Yes, dear. Yeah, so it's a sad scene. And everyone's like, oh, I almost ate this microphone. <laughs> this chair with wheels is new for me. Anyway. And everyone's like, oh, why don't you just murder her? <laughs> we sick of your wife. <laughs> oh, that's not funny, but it's it's funny. Wow. Okay. As Mr. Luttrell takes Hastings to see Perot, he comes across two of the guests staying in the, the B&B. Mr. Norton, he's a bird watcher, unassuming guy, but he's there. And he sees yes, him kind of are. running outside to go look look at some birds. You get the feeling right away that you're not supposed to pay too much attention to him. Yep. Immediately. Which always makes me pay attention to people. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Why are you writing him out of the plots and stuff? (laughs) What he doing while everybody else doing this? And Sir William Boyd Carrington, which is the friend of the Franklins. um, Oh, the friend of his daughter and the Franklins. Okay. So when Hastings sees Perot, he's in a wheelchair. He describes him as a thin man. And as we know, um, Perot is usually kind of, you know, belly heavy. Thick. <laughs> a face lined and wrinkled. His mustache and hair were obviously dyed jack black. And Hastings is like, ooh, that's not a good look, friend. It but he like said you're it wearing to himself. A wig. Yeah, it looks like you're wearing a wig. Hastings asked Perot, um, how Perot is, and he tells him, he said, oh, I'm crippled and twisted. I can't walk. Well, he can can still feed himself, but he must be attended to like a baby, put to bed, washed and dressed, 
but his brain still functions. Perot then explains to Hastings why he's at Styles. He tells him he is there to hunt down a murderer and he needs Hastings to serve as his eyes, ears, and feet. <laughs> so Hastings is invaluable to her to Perot. Hastings is surprised by um, his suggestion because all the people he's seen so far are like, well, these are like regulars. They don't look yeah. like any menacing, murdering type people. But Perot assures him that surprise, um, that surprise will be even more reasonable when he meets the other guests. They all seem like very nice people, not like they would be murderer. Other guests include the nurse of Mrs. Franklin. Um, Allerton is a guy in his 40s. He's good looking and he has a reputation for being a womanizer. And then Miss Cole, a woman in her 30s. All, like I said, very nice people, you know, of course, except for the womanizer. <laughs> but one of them is a murderer, Perot assures him. Perot and these are, I mean, these are quote unquote nice people, but they're all pretty murderous. Like I said, the um, wife of the... Um, owner of the building of the guest house is very um like mean and um mm -hmm. disrespectful to her husband very and everyone's kind of like oh i would like push her over a cliff <laughs> and then <laughs> you know some people get along some people don't but it's always like this conversation like oh i could just murder her they're very english and That's it's even the English the way. Point. Is that the English way? This is for you, <laughs> my English friend. Is that the English way? Do y'all just like you murdering know, it people? Rain a lot there. They just be sitting around <laughs> thinking of murdering each other. If Agatha is to believe, that's all I got to go on. And, and a couple <laughs> friends. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay. Pro assures them one of them is a murderer. Pro shares with Hastings his precise his summary of facts, if you will. He wants him to, to read through it. So he reads, there are there have been five murders, okay? The first one is Mr. Etherton. He was married. The first case, I'll say, is Mr. Etherton. He's married. He drinks, does drugs, and has a peculiar and sadistic-like character. His wife is young and attractive. He dies of what is an apparent food poisoning, but the autopsy reveals that it was arsenic poisoning. His wife is held responsible but gets acquitted because her husband had bad habits and people felt sorry for her. So <laughs> when she is when she is released from prison, her, well, not released, when she is acquitted, her friends like shun her though, even still. She's a murderer. And she ends up taking an overdose of sleeping pills two years after the trial. The second case is of an elderly spinster, an invalid and a very difficult person. She was in a lot of pain and she was looked after by her niece. The spinster dies of an overdose of morphine. The niece admits to an that it was an error. You know, I've been caring for her and it was it was just a mistake. I, it's a horrible, horrible mistake. I killed my aunt. The police, though, think it's deliberate, but they don't have enough evidence to prosecute. The third case, Mr. Riggs, he suspected his wife of cheating with someone that was lodging at their house. And the lodger and the wife were found shot from Mr. Riggs' gun. Mm. Mr. Riggs turns himself in saying that he must have done it. 
but he can't remember. His mind is blank. He was sentenced to death, but it was later commuted to a life sentence. The fourth case, Mr. Bradley was cheating on his wife. When his wife found out, she threatened to kill him. He died of potassium cyanide in his beer. The wife was arrested and tried for murder, but she broke down under cross-examination, you know, confessing, and Mm. they convicted her and hanged her. Mm. Mr. Litchfield is our fifth, fifth case. He's an elderly tyrant. He's the father of four daughters at home who were not allowed any pleasures or money to spend. One evening, when he came home, he was attacked outside his home and killed with a blow to the head. His eldest daughter confessed, saying she did it so that her sisters could have a life before it was too late. Mr. And it's not that they were like just denied pleasures. He was like keeping them prisoner in the house. (laughs) And he wouldn't give them any means to live, to go out and like find husbands, which I'm sure is all they really wanted to do this time. Yeah, that was the life back then. So I guess they they weren't allowed to work. (laughs) Mr. Mr. Litchfield has a large fortune. The daughter was committed to an insane asylum and died shortly after. So after reading through this summary, Hastings is like, I don't get it. Five different murders all occurred at different places amongst different classes of people. And there's no resemblance between them. Between them, How is this a case? All the cases are solved. Are you making up murders now? Yeah, the perpetrator was caught in each case. Aw, mm-hmm. uh, you're old. You want to feel important. <laughs> Hastings is also old, but he ain't in a wheelchair. and He still kind of look good. So he's like, yeah. oh, my dear friend Perot. Yeah. So Perot's um, like, no, but you know what? There is one thing similar in all the cases. There is no element of doubt and there is never an indication of another suspect. And Perot sees this as a problem. So Perot tells him, look, I think there is one person in common that we could tie to these murders, and I'm going to call him X. Although in none of the cases did X have an apparent motive for the murder of any of the victims, these are all the connections that I find. X was on intimate terms with Etherington which is his wife poisoned him and she was acquitted because the judge felt sorry for her. Okay, that's one case. And then X lived for a time in the same village as Riggs. Now Riggs is the one, his wife was cheating on him and he killed the wife and the man she was cheating with, but his mind went blank so he doesn't remember that. Yeah, he was like, maybe I was drunk. I don't know. And then X, the third uh, case X was acquainted with Mrs. Bradley. That's the one whose wife. Um, he okay. was a philanderer. Yeah. And she poisoned his beer. Yeah. So X was acquainted with Mrs. Bradley. Her husband was a cheater. I um, mean, she was hanged for that. And then he has a snapshot. I think that's what it was. He was saying he has a snapshot of X and the niece who killed her aunt walking together. That's the case where the police didn't have enough evidence to prosecute her. And then, finally, X was near the house when Mr. Litchfield died, 
Now that's the one where he had the four daughters and he was depriving them of the good life and his uh, eldest of daughter Of any life. Him. Of any life. Oh, right, right. Kyrie said their jobs also. So. So, Perot tells Hastings, X is in this house and the murder will be committed here shortly. Perot tells Hastings, it's one thing to catch a murderer because Hastings is like, well, you know, you can just catch the murderer. It'll be that easy. You're great at this. This is what you do. Do your mm-hmm. job. Perot <laughs> tells Hastings, it's one thing to catch a murderer, but it's another thing to stop a murder. Listen, Mm -hmm. here's why. I could warn the victim, but it's hard to warn a victim or convince a victim that they're going to be killed by someone they're close to. That's not easy to do. The second thing... he don't know who the victim... Oh, so go ahead. No, go ahead. He don't even know who the victim is going to be. He just knows that there's a murderer. There's a murderer who is somehow involved with all of these murders and they're here. Yeah. Amongst the guests as Styles. Yep. And two... He could warn the murderer, but murderers are like too conceited. He said he's warned murderers before, but the murderer was determined to kill. So that's not the answer. And number three, catch the murderer at the exact moment. That's a difficult and delicate job. Can you imagine walking up on a murderer and be like, aha, got you. (laughs) Knife in hand. Nah, that ain't easy because you could (laughs) die too, right? Right. Okay, so Kari, who do you think, what do you think is the next question Hastings asked? Well, I read the book. Hastings is like, go ahead. No, I want to know what you think was the natural next question that Hastings would ask after hearing all of this. Um, so who's going to get murdered? Actually, who is X or the purported oh. murderer? Sorry, wait, wait, let me do that again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do it, okay. Uh, So who do you think is the next question? Wait a minute. It's okay. You said it fine. You said it fine. Oh, okay. Who is X? Right. But guess what? Perot refused to tell Hastings. But Perot did know. But he was like, Hastings, you don't have a poker face, so I can't tell you nothing. (laughs) Hastings like, hey, (laughs) I play poker. And Perot is like, and you lose every time. Every time. He said every time. Well, not me. You lose every time. His, and Hayes is like, well, I do be losing. <laughs> His friend is so honest with him. It's a very special relationship. So there are some possible victims. And as Kari said, the first and number one victim is the Latrell wife. She publicly emasculates her husband and nobody likes it. It makes everyone uncomfortable. You've been around couples like this? Yes, and it's so uncomfortable. (laughs) I don't like it at all. I mean, nobody does. It's not just me. No one does. It's just like really uncomfortable. And then there's this case, a possible victim. Hastings' daughter appears to be involved in a situation with Allerton, and everybody knows he's a womanizer. Hastings don't like that at all. Now, how did Hastings get put in there? Well, you know, that's his daughter. He wanted, you know, you want to care for your children. Yeah, this daughter we keep mentioning, just to be clear, is not Hercule Perot's daughter because he don't have kids. It's Hastings' daughter. Right. And another situation is the Franklins, okay? The wife is sickly. Now, that's doctors, the Dr. Franklin and his wife. 
the wife is sickly. They call her an invalid in the book. She never wants to do anything. She's exhaust everything exhausts her she only um, want to do the things she wants to do yes. like go shopping and stuff mm-hmm. and then when they be like hey can you pass me the remote she'll be like oh my arms <laughs> yeah. the husband is always working in a laboratory with this beautiful young assistant Hastings yeah Hastings daughter, daughter. Mm-hmm. yeah Mrs. Franklin is and that's when I was like Hastings daughter did it yeah right Mrs. Franklin is old friends remember Sir William Boyd Carrington I didn't give you much detail about him because you know I didn't have any anyway he's um he's uh he's like 15 years older than her but they were friends like years and he's like in love with Mrs. Franklin and so he like kind of takes her out he don't think Mr. Franklin treats her well. He, you know, he doesn't kind of yield to her needs. He thinks that Mrs. Hastings, Mrs. Franklin would be better if as his wife. Well, if, taking care, if, taking care of his estate, adding a feminine touch. <laughs> so maybe I should kill her husband. This is thoughts people have. Everyday people. Yeah. Like maybe I should kill her husband and take his wife. She we would were be better back in the day if he took her out. Mister Franklin took her out more. Do the, to do the things that she enjoys. So mm-hmm. another um, English trait: not minding your business. <laughs> That's right. Yes. And finally, there's um, a nurse of Mrs. Franklin. She's interested in Allerton. That's the womanizer. But there's also two eligible women in, at the B&B. That's, again, Hastings' daughter. She seemed like she all up in this, don't she? And then a woman named Miss Cole. So there's... To be fair, the nurse just loves men. So she's interested in all the men equally. Okay. <laughs> So she just, you know, anyway, it's a situation brewing. You know what I'm saying? Anybody. One of the um, things that Perot says is that everyone is a potential murderer. And everyone there rises from time to time. (laughs) The wish to kill, though not the will to kill. And your will has to assent to your desire. We're all potential murderers. And the art of X, the murderer, was not to suggest the desire, but to break down the normal descent, the normal decent resistance. He marshaled forces of a human being to widen breach instead of repairing it. And it was um, it called on the best in a man and set it in alliance with the worst. This is um, so. What's that called when you like about to get in a fight and your friend go, "Yeah, you should do it. You should do it." That's what's that called? Um, oh, oh, oh! It's a word. My mama yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you instigator. Instigator. So he, ins- he always instigating. So you, somebody might, you know, rub you the wrong way. And you like, oh, I could kill them. You know, because you English and this is just something you say. You don't really mean it. He don't want that to be like, yeah, you should kill him. You know, it's so interesting because he was like, like, what? Children be like, (laughs) he gave an example that children say, um, I would kill this example was wild. I was like, no, no, no. Where did you the, I'm from? telling you, I think this is just in this part of the world. He get, Perot gave the example to show how we all have um, murder in us that a child might get angry at a cat for scratching it. So the child kills the cat. 
But then the child's like, man, I really love that cat. I'm sad I killed it. And I said, what? Where they be? Where the kids just be killing cats? <laughs> Who is these children? Where is this happening? Mm. Please explain this to me. Well, okay. So I in think, the English countryside, apparently. You know mm-hmm. So I think Harry oh, and Meghan tried to tell y'all. Go ahead. So, Kari, now I think I set the th- scene. What do you think? Do you think I need to include anything else before we go into questions? <laughs> Okay, there is a back and forth between Hastings and Perot where Perot's like, look, I'm sickly. I'm in this wheelchair. I need you to be my eyes, ears, and legs. And you explained that. But um, Perot is trying to convince Hastings he needs to do whatever it takes to catch this murder, including, you know, quietly following people, looking through peepholes. And Hastings like, ah, ah, I'm not going to look through no people. Get on my knees and look through a peephole. I'm a gentleman. At once, I grasped the essential point and realized what a fool I had been not to see it sooner. I see, I said. I've got to look around for somebody who, who answers to those requirements, the potential victim. Perot leaned back with a sigh. Ah, Finn. I'm very tired. Sing cutters to me. You understand your job now. You are active. You can get about. You can follow people about, talk to them, spy upon them unobserved. I nearly uttered an indignant protest, but quoted, it was too old an argument. You can listen to conversations. You have knees that will bend and permit you to kneel and look through keyholes. I will not look through keyholes, I interrupted hotly. Perot closed his eyes. Very well then, you will not look through keyholes. You will remain the English gentleman and someone will be killed. It does not matter that honor comes first with an Englishman. Your honor is more important than somebody else's life, Ben. It is understood. No, but dash it all, Perot. Perot said coldly, send cutters to me. Go away. You are obstinate and extremely stupid, and I wish that there was someone else whom I could trust. But I suppose I shall have to put up with you and your sort ideas of fair play. Since you cannot use your gray cells, as you do not possess them, at any rate, use your eyes, your ears, and your nose, if need be, insofar as the dictates of honor allow. Okay, so why don't we take a quick break and then kind of discuss some of the, um, some questions. Is that a good idea? Okay, sure, yeah. All right. Now we're back. Questions for you, Akari. Yes. Do you think Perot gives a good reason for not telling Hastings all he knows? Yeah, because um, Perot is like, I would tell you who the murderer is, but you are going to, um, what he says, let the cat out of the bag, as you say, or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a terrible poker face. Yeah. And Hastings is like, you know, offended. But then all evening, <laughs> he's looking at people suspiciously <laughs> to the point where his daughter is like, what's wrong? Why you keep yeah, looking at people like that? <laughs> and Hastings is like, oh. So, yeah, I think Perel did a good thing by not telling Hastings who the murderer was off the bat. And then, you know, vicariously not telling us. Because okay. then there would be no book. Mm-hmm. He said, you'll be staring at X with your mouth hanging open, your face saying <laughs> plainly, this man I'm looking at is a murderer. Hastings is like, I want to be incognito and you don't help that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Perot is like, yeah. Yeah. So do you think uh, Perot knew who X was the entire time or do you think he needed Hastings to give him more details to figure it out? Yeah. Okay. So that's a good point. I thought in the conversation, in their opening conversation, 
um, Perot makes it clear that he knows who the murderer is. But I think I'm misremembering that because he's observing Perot is also observing everyone. And then at the um, like three quarters of the way into the book knows who it is. So I think after observation, I think that after observation, Perot becomes more convinced in his suspicions. What about you? I kind of think he has a hint of who it is. And again, as as um, Hastings comes back with the stories of the evenings, he's able to like, guess I knew it was him. But the reason he came to Styles in the first place is because he was actually following who he thought was the murderer. Yeah. So, but he told Hastings, "Your daughter is here. You know, it's a guest house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted you to come so we could be like one big family." Yeah. And Hastings like, uh, he's very sentimental, and Hastings like, "Oh, my friend, wait a second. <laughs> you here because you think something going on?" And Perot was like, "Oh, alas, mon ami, you figured me out." <laughs> There is some laugh out loud moments yeah, for me. Yeah. Okay. Another question. What do you think? Um, well, we kind of addressed this already, but what do you think of the premise of the book? Is it too far fetched? The idea that a person can be influenced to commit murder? We kind of talked about that. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, I gotta say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it can happen over a summer retreat. I don't think But that's so. a long period of time. They socialize. Yeah. Is that three hours? So the thing is also, mm, you're making me think the murderer isn't just picking random people. He's observing people's behavior and their situation and then pushing them past that point where they do something they never thought they do. And I think that's very real. That can definitely happen, yeah. um, especially if you're already in a headspace and an instigator comes along and tells you exactly what needs to be heard to get you over the inhibitions that are stopping you. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. I, yeah. What about you? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I love the premise of this book. I think it is so intriguing and it, it's, um, and I believe it to be a very real thing. And you've actually just proved it where people come up with stories in their mind just because. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's interesting. One thing um, you said about the murder of Roger Ackroyd, another book that we read by Agatha Christie, was that Perot was holding information that the reader could not know nor find out. Do you think Perot held, withheld necessary information to prevent the reader from figuring out the killer? Um, I will say in this, this book was better in that aspect because you were given more evidence as, as a reader to lead to a conclusion. But um, I would have liked to spend a little more time with the perp and hear him say mm. a little. Now, there is an inner, there is a situation with Hastings and Hastings' daughter that I thought was set up really well where you could suspect the perp in that situation. Um, but as far as, um, the wife and her old uh, childhood friend who's trying to steal her from her husband. <laughs> the the murderous sp- spirit or feeling in that situation, I couldn't see how it was exploited by the perp. Bec- oh, I couldn't okay. see that just from reading the book. The, when Perot explained it, I was like, okay. But I didn't see that in the book. Oh, okay. I gotta if that makes sense. That, yeah. So it was better than um, Roger Ackroyd where Perot was like, but mon ami, three years ago <laughs> to this day, you told me your shoes were wet. I was like, but that wasn't in the book. So how would I guess? So what am I doing? I'm just watching you solve a case that I ain't got no evidence 
You didn't, for, I mean, you didn't get to be involved like that. in the book. That's, that's, yeah, that's why I'm reading it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole point. And I think of books like The Silent Patient or even Woman in the Window, whoever wrote that. Um, we, we, um, we can, or you know what? And then there were and none. There were you none. can actually figure it out. And and then if It'd you didn't figure wrong. it out, you can go back and read it again, which I just read. And then there, I've read three books this week. Oh wow! But I, three Agatha time. Christie's. I don't know why. Cause she, that you know, really she deceased. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. If she was alive, I wouldn't read none of these books. But she ain't gonna know. Um, so <laughs> I love that you can though. go. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> she still benefit though. Her no, estate her and family. Yeah, I gotta research them. You're right. Mm. <laughs> Hmm, you making me think. Well, that's okay. I got it from Libby. So um I've I felt like reading it again. I'm like, oh yeah, I see now how he's obviously the murderer, she, whatever. Uh that person is obviously the murderer. Great job inserting that bit in here. And this book had a little more of, of that than the murder of Roger Ackroyd, but it was still lacking in in a few bits. How did you feel? That doesn't bother you though, right? No, You're it like, doesn't bother you me. You can just be a spectator. I, I am very good at just watching. I can watch the book. Yes. Read the yeah. words, watch the book. Tell me what happens. Just show me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm okay oh, with brother. that. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I, <laughs> but I do think he revealed um, a necessary information so that we can make a guess. But, I, you know, I, this was a rush week for me. So I'll talk about that as we, um, in the final verdict. But um, yeah. Okay. And there were two people I went back and forth with who I thought was the murderer. So I was satisfied at the end that it wasn't handed to me on a plate. And I also was able to figure it out a bit. Yeah. Okay. That was All fun. Right. Okay. So one more question. Together, um, we've read like three books by um, with Perot. And you also read The Mysterious Affair at Styles. Do you see a change in Perot's character from the first book to this last book? And what you read. Yeah, there's not much Perot in Styles. Oh, it's a lot of Hastings. And then um, I'll say in the second half, there's more Perot, but it's like Hastings story. Mm. Um, This really much felt like both of them. There's a lot of Perot speaking, a lot of Perot leading the direction of the plot. Um, And Hastings is more of a side character. He's like our avatar in this book, Mm -hmm. um, which I prefer that because when I'm reading a a Perot book, and it's mostly his best friend about his best friend. I'm like, well, what is this book kind of about? Um, so, yeah, I think there's more Perot in this book, which I thought was appropriate. I like that. OK, cool. What about you? Well, I didn't read Styles, And I as I so from so a Murder many. on the Orient Express, what do you think? OK. And the murder of Roger Ackroyd. I think it's the same <laughs> Perot personality wise. Um the multiple characters. He likes a lot of characters to be involved in these murders. I mean, Agatha likes a lot of characters to be involved in these murders or potential suspects or, you know, the engagement. That's a lot. But um, and I see that same thing with this book as she concludes. So I feel like she did a, a really good. Is this stepping on the, on the verdict? No, I feel like in this book, she did a good job of including that same personality. So I'm, I imagine I'm pretty sure she carried that same throughout. And I've watched a couple movies with Perot in it. So um, I, I I know that's, you know, it's the same person. I, yeah. I don't feel like it's brand new. 
Um, I've read online where people feel like this is not the same one. Oh, where they feel like this Perot is a different Perot. Yeah, because of his actions. Because of his actions. And that, oh, well, that's on purpose, though. Yeah, I think so. So too. he does make a strong turn in character, mm-hmm. um, but that is by design. Yep. So I'm fine with that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He acknowledges it and talks about this is something I've never done. Yep. He explains so. that. So, Kari, what is your final verdict and would you recommend this book? My final verdict is that this is a book that you can read and forget. These characters won't stay with me. I won't be constantly thinking about them Um, weeks and months to come. This isn't a book I'll pick up to read again. However, it was enjoyable while it lasted. And I think for that reason, it's a great book to take on vacation, uh, to bring to the beach. It's a murder where it's not haunting your dreams. Um, the murder in this book is very okay. They got murdered and then what? <laughs> and now it's time for tea. So, um, yeah. It's, That's uh, very English of you. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but as a puzzle, it was put together really well. And this is a take it or leave it book. Read it or don't, whatever. You won't be changed either way. Uh, my final verdict is, yeah, I'd recommend it for a book that you want to hop in and out of. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. What about you? Would you recommend this book? What's your final verdict? Yeah, um, I would recommend it. Uh, I had a like really busy week. I ended up having to take the book back to the library because it was due and I had got it so long ago. So I didn't have a physical copy to read and ended up listening to it. So this is more a critique of the audio. Um, me listening to audio, I'm convinced that's not my thing, especially if there are like multiple characters like the way this is character heavy, audiobooks are not the thing for me. But the book as a whole, um, I really enjoyed it. Um, another parole. And, and again, I, I like parole. I think I've always said I like the books that we read with them. Yeah. And um, and I really do agree that this is like a, a beach read. This is one of the light stories. It reminds me of stories like... Um, um, Alexander McCall, the number one ladies detective agency, very light books um, that you can read and not be deeply affected by. I'm not like you said, I'm not going to be thinking about this for days. Um, and so that's what I like about these tech, these easy reads. They're just very take you away just a moment. Yeah. Get in there and get out. And, and and enjoy the book. So I, I really did enjoy it. I would definitely recommend it. And I, I would still go back and read um, The Affair at Styles and maybe a couple others in the series that have been um, spoken about um, because I like the Perot series. And I also like to um, jump into Miss Marple because I do like her writing. She, she is a really great writer. I can understand mm-hmm. why she is held in such high esteem in the literary community. Mm-hmm. I will say for the mysterious case of Styles, it was real mumbo jumble at the end. And to get to the point of who done it, they go through 50 million turns and twists to the point where I was like, OK, I don't care who did it. Oh, wow. either tell me who did it or don't. So I'm interested to know what you thought. So would you say her after you read it, her writing has improved since then? Oh, I mean, that's just not my cup of tea. Maybe people like that mirandering uh, conclusion. Mm-hmm. I do not. Get to the point. So I, it might just be me. I don't know. So, Alexis, what are we reading next week? I believe we're doing a relit episode. Relit! 
<laughs> of Animal it's Farm. Not. You know, a favorite of mine. Yes, Animal Farm from season one. We are revisiting that with maybe a little bit of commentary looking back on it. You know, we might have some thoughts. So that'll be fun. Stay tuned next week. We will be somewhere else having a great time, but we're giving you an episode to enjoy. All right. Thank you for listening to Lit Society, you guys. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you too. If you've enjoyed what you just heard and you have, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, next month's book list, and even August hey, book list so hey. you can read ahead. Yeah, we're going to start. We're I think we'll the next list we publish will be like through the end of the year, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. So. Yeah, you can also visit our website, again, LitSocietyPod.com to sign up for our amazing email newsletter, which I haven't created or published in a couple months, but I'm going to do that. And until next time, readers, read, read something. something.